0: Welcome to episode number 16 of Strengthening the Brethren Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Larson. Today, I'm going to share a sermon by my pastor friend, Jerry Ross. Pastor Ross was saved at a young age at Rock Run Baptist Church, north of Brazil, Indiana. He was called to preach in 1979, shortly after graduating from Blessed Hope Baptist School in Jasonville, Indiana. He then attended Hiles Anderson Bible College and graduated in 1987 with a BS in Pastoral Theology. He met his future wife, Cheryl, while in college, and God has since blessed them with three daughters and ten grandchildren. Pastor Ross has served in the gospel ministry since graduating from Bible College, first as a pastor of Central Baptist Church in Brazil, Indiana, then as a full-time assistant pastor at Blessed Hope Baptist Church in Jasonville, Indiana, and now as the senior pastor of that same church. He has also authored several books and booklets, including The Teenage Years of Jesus Christ, Stay in the Castle, and grace will lead me home. This message is entitled, Not Ashamed. Enjoy. Now, Pastor Jerry Ross is going to come break open the bread of life to us again. Now, I was told that Pastor Jerry Ross hails from Jasonville, Indiana, but I'm not sure that that is completely correct. Now, we have a lot of countries up here. If you've ever taken the opportunity to look at some of them, Now, we've worked on conquering some of them. There's Chalupistan and Frankistan and Umfula and Porkistan. But there's one here called Notoistan. And I think that's where he comes from. But I'll let him tell you about that. Pastor Jerry Ross, you come and preach to us tonight.
1: Oh, man, I think that was a setup. (laughs) Notoistan. Well... I can't say that I was born there. I moved there later on in life, brother. <laughs> I was born in Ten Toa Stan, but then I moved to and and it's really misnamed because it's No Toa Stan. It's not like I don't have any toes, so that would that would not be right. I uh, do now permanently uh, presently reside in Nine Toa Stan and uh That may be temporary. Uh, Who knows? I may take off one or two more before I die. And so uh, talking about scars, gentlemen, scars. Hopefully, if you came here without a scar, you have one now. If you don't, then uh, you absolutely should not be allowed to leave camp until that's accomplished. But of course, the next level after a scar is to actually dismember yourself in some way. To cut off some part of your body. That's the progression to real manhood. Is You start out by brutally injuring yourself and producing scars. And then you begin to do things that would actually take off parts of your body. And and uh, no, I, I'm kidding. I don't recommend that. Um, I've had parents come to me all week long saying, please, Brother Ross, please. I think they want you home in one piece. They want you home okay. Is this ringing funny? Is What's going on? Are we OK? We good? All right. I can't tell if it's my ears. I can't tell if it's me. But um, yes, they asked if I would tell the story. How many of you ever heard the story of how I cut off my big toe? Let me look. It'd be easier to say this. How many of you have never heard the story about how I've cut off my big toe? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <sighs> OK, I'm going to give a testimony, a testimony. I'm between my junior and senior year. You kind of got to know the, the, the reason, I think, that God allowed it to happen. I was very much focused my junior year at and had made a decision, I think, really on my own. Although if you would have asked me, I would have told you that I prayed about it because that's what we do. But I very much wanted to go into law enforcement. And I had actually applied during my junior year sent an application with some letters of recommendation because every year the Indiana State Police accept two young men from every one of the 92 counties in Indiana, and they select just two per county, and you can go to Indianapolis and participate in a two-week program introducing you to law enforcement. And I had gone through the application procedure and had been chosen as one of the two young men from my county, and so that's what I was prepared to do the 1st of July Uh, Between my junior and senior year, and I was pumped about it, excited about it, and had pretty much determined that that's what I was going to do. But honestly, I had not prayed about it. I just decided it. And uh, folks, I'm not going to preach on that this this tonight, but I do preach a message entitled My Will, Thy Will, because at some point everything's going to boil down to that. It boiled down that to that with even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Think of that. The Son of God says to God the Father, who, who, by the way, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. So think about that for a minute. And yet he had to come to a point where he said, not my will, but thine be done. And so I had focused in on this. To me, this application was the fleece. And it came back as evidence and proof that I was supposed to probably go into law enforcement. And that's all I could talk about in I was excited about it. But I had about a month after school let out in order to work and do some things. So I got a job working for a guy that owned a carpet uh, shop, car- carpet store. And I helped him in installation, clean it up around the warehouse, odd jobs, whatever he needed me to do. I was going to work that for a month, go off to the camp, come back, and then work with, for him the rest of the summer. And part of my responsibility was mowing just a little bit of grass behind uh, the shop. And so once a week... He would say, in between jobs, we'd go, we'd put in, do a floor, floor job, and then we'd come back, and he'd say, hey, clean out the van, swap out the materials for the next job, I'll be right back. And by the way, grab the mower and mow the yard real quick, and so that's what I was doing. And it was a push mower. And so I started it up. And, you know, I'm 17, high energy, high speed, you know. I've got to get all this done. I've got to get it done quick. So when you push a lawnmower, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to push it a certain direction you get to the end you turn it around and you go the other direction and you turn it around and that's the proper way to do it uh, but i was in a hurry so i grabbed the thing started it up and i started mowing like this and then i would just grab it and wrestle it over and i would go like this and then i'd wrestle it over and i'd go like this and i'm almost running while i'm doing it because i'm just trying to get it done knocked out and So about my fourth swipe back, and I've mowed this, I don't know how many times, and I've never had this issue and never saw this before, but sticking out of the ground about that far was just a little pipe that had been cut off, and I'd never caught it before. It was low enough that the blades didn't hit it, so I just never saw it. But as I'm pulling it back, my heel catches on that pipe. And like I said, I'm coming back fast with it, and my foot catches and I start falling backwards. I lose my balance, but I forget to let go of the mower. And so I fall and pull the mower over this foot that is now stuck on this pipe. And it went like that. And I I love it when they jump. And uh, I push it off real quick. Oh, and I'm laying on the ground now. And I'm like, ow. And I jump up and I look. And another thing. Not only are you supposed to mow like this, you should have some type of a work boot, preferably a still-toed boot. Not white, all-star, Converse. No, not, not the reproductions you guys are wearing. I'm talking about the original, All right. all-star, Converse tennis shoes. That's, I was wearing high-top Converse tennis shoes. So all of a sudden, I yank that thing off there, and I'm laying on the ground, and I stand up, and I'm looking, and it's kind of ripped up. And all of a sudden, my white Converse tennis shoes begin to turn a little pink, and then they begin to turn red. And and it's not spurting like yours, but I can see that I have an issue. I'm bleeding. And I'm thinking, oh, stupid. What in the world did I do? And so I turn the mower off. The store's over there. I, I go over to the store. I open the back door, and Mrs. Smith. The owner's wife is in there, and she's dealing with customers. And I said, and I promised, this is the way it was. I I walked in there, and I said, uh, she's dealing with customers. You know, I've been trained, you don't interrupt adults, but I'm kind of like needing. So I'm like, Mrs. Smith, and she just a minute, Jerry. Sure, I'll just bleed to death right here. Take your time. Mrs. Smith, she's like, Jerry. I said, ma'am, I'm sorry to interrupt. I am. But I fell backwards and pulled the mower over my foot. She went, oh, and I, I've cut my foot. I'm bleeding pretty. Oh, and I said, I, I I'm getting lightheaded and I got to get I'm going to go to your van and I'm going to sit in the work van. And if you could drive me to the..." And then she just loses it. She just literally goes. Oh, and I'm like, I'll be in the van, uh, you know, psycho check. Amen. And she runs over to her purse, and she's trying to find her keys, and she's screaming and throwing. The customers are looking, and I'm walking over to the van, and I get in it, and I'm sitting, and I'm waiting, and I'm sitting, and I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I thought, where is this woman? And here she comes with her keys running out. She gets in the van, and she said, are you all right? I said, I'm all right. Just, just, you know, drive to the hospital. And she goes by. I said, ma'am, listen, I'm, She's running stop signs. She's running red lights. And I'm just sitting thinking, forget my foot. She's going to kill me. We're going to die in a car accident. I'm just, you know, so I'm hanging on and I get to the hospital and they take me to the emergency room and I'm on a stretcher and I'm waiting to see the doctor. And finally, they wheel me in. And by this time, the shock, if you cut off a member of your body, it doesn't hurt for a while. OK, just just in, for future reference, in case it happens, you just kind of go into shock. God created us. We're fearfully, wonderfully made. You don't feel something for a while. It's just kind of numb, hurts a little but Then it starts wearing off and then it starts hurting so, the doctor they finally got the doctor. I won't go through all of it, but it took about an hour for him to finally get there. And by that time, I'm holding on to the sides, you know. And um, my dad gets there. And anyway, the emergency doctor walks in and he starts cutting off my, my tennis shoe. He doesn't take it off. He starts cutting. I'm like, oh, man, my tennis shoe. And I think, well, I guess they're kind of ruined anyway. So, he takes them off, pulls the shoe off real careful, and then he cuts my sock off and he pulls it off. And, you know, I'm laying with my foot up like this, you know, and I'm looking at my foot and he's looking at my foot and I'm looking at my foot. And I said, where's my toe? And he said, I don't know. I said, what do you mean you don't know? I said, I don't know. I said, well, you better find it. I said, why don't you look in that shoe down there? He goes over and he goes like that. I said, it's probably in the sock. And, and, and he's looking at it, and he's looking around, and he said, did you bring it? I didn't know I lost it. Where's my toe? And I'm getting upset. And about that time, a, a nurse sticks a needle in me, you know, and I'm going, where, where, where's my, where's my toe? I'm gone. I'm done. I don't even know what's happening. Several hours later, anybody ever had surgery and gone being put completely under? Oh, it's a trip coming out, man it's just like you know you're sitting there and, or you're laying there, and it's like you start hearing voices like way out somewhere, and you're trying to get to the surface, you know, you're just kind of and you almost get there and it's, and then a little while later it's like you hear these voices again, and you're and finally, at some point you you open your eye. And I open my eye and my mother is on this side and my grandmother is on this side. And they both have my hand. I know, what is it with you women wanting to pat your hand all the time? And I pat, 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 pat. Where am I? Oh, grandma's crying. Oh, mom's like, are you okay? I don't know. Where am I? All of a sudden I thought, my toe, my foot. So I looked down at the bed. My foot's all wrapped up in a big giant bandage, you know, and I'm laying there. And I said, uh. Uh, all of a sudden, it came back to me. I'm like, Mom. Uh, and Grandma started crying again. I said, Mom, they couldn't find my toe. They? I re- Did they find my toe? And about that time, Grandma's crying. Mom doesn't want to tell me, you know. And Mr. Smith that owns the carpet store, about that time, he comes busting in the room. And he walks in, and he said, Hey, ladies, how you doing? Hey, Jerry, how are you? I'm like, I, I-, I guess so, all right. And he said, I got good news. I said, What? He said, I found your toe. That's what he said. As soon as he said, I found your toe, my grandma just let out a wail. Ah! And he said, oh, ma'am, I, I am so, I'm so sorry. That was so insensitive of me. And, you know, when you're 17 and you got your mother and your grandmother, I'm looking at my mom, mom get her out of here. Get her. She's just, ah. mom takes grandma, she's crying. The last thing she says she's leaving the hospital room is, oh, I just, I'm sorry. I just keep remembering when he was a, a little baby and how cute his toes. I'm like, mom. Get her out! <laughs> so the two psycho chicks go out into the hallway. And now it's us guys. So it's like, okay, I said, where'd you find it? He said, yeah, man, I found your toe. I said, where'd you find it? He said, it's, uh, I found it out in the yard where, where you were mowing. And I said, really? He said, yeah. And I said, they were looking for it. And he, he said, well, no, they, they didn't find it because it was in the yard. And I said, all right. I said, give it to me. And he said, huh? And I said, where's, give it, where's my toe? And he said, I said, Mr. Smith, did you bring me my toe? And he said, well, no, I didn't bring your toe. I said, what did you do with my toe? And he said, where is my toe? And he said, I buried it. I said, you did what? He said, I buried. Listen, this isn't a cat that got hit by a car. This isn't a possum. I said, you buried it? He said, I said, where? He said, well, I just, I didn't know what to do. I just, where did you bury my toe? He said, it's in my backyard. I said, is that even legal? I, I mean, shouldn't have been taken to a cemetery? I mean, this is a part of my body. It's a part of me. And so <laughs> he said, well, well, what did you want? You want me to bring it to you? I said, yeah, I want it. He said, well, what were you going to do with it? I said, well, I don't know. I, You know, I thought about my high school science class, you know, the little bottle. Put it in a jar, you know. You know, what is, what's that liquid that whatever they put in there? And Yeah, just stick your toe, and that way your friends come over. Hey, man, look. Look at that. Oh! Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, that's my man. <laughs> Maybe I can boil it down and get the bone and then make, you know, like a necklace out of it or something. I, I mean, you talk about a chick magnet, I would have brought him in, man. So, so it just became this joke, this running joke with us, but mom didn't think it was funny. She's very emotional. My grandma is off the edge, and my dad is just mad because I cut my toe off. And and so finally, after several days in the hospital, we're, we get in the car and we go home to go home. And I said, "Hey, mom, dad." Dad's like, "What?" He said, "I, I said, can we go somewhere before we go home?" He said, "Well, where do you want to go?" And I said, "To uh, see go by Mister Smith's shop." And he said, "Well, what do you need to see him about?" I said, "Well, I don't need to see him." He said, well, "What are you talking about?" I said, "I want to visit my toe." <laughs> he, said, he said, "You, you want to what?" no, my dad and my mom starts <laughs> just let him go by and see the toe I'm like I want to see the toe he's just being stupid he don't want to I want to see the. let's let him Bob just let him see the toe so my dad's mad and he drives <laughs> Mr. Smith I start getting out with my crutches they start getting out I'm like please I need it sometime alone <laughs> My dad is looking at me like I'm just going to kill you. My mom's like, "Yeah, he needs some time alone." I <laughs> There's this fresh mound of dirt. <laughs> Standing over there looking at it just to irritate my dad mostly, you know, and my mom's crying in the car. Dad's like, "I'm going to I'm going to shoot that boy when I get home. I'm I'm going to bury all of him in the backyard." And I'm like, "Hey, uh, hey." Sorry, man. Uh, (laughs) Well, we didn't see this coming, did we, you know? We had good times, though. Me and you, we had good times. So So that's the story. But the story's not over, Brother Star, because one of these days, I'm going to be raptured twice. Twice. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then which we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with it in the air to meet the Lord and so shall we. So during the rapture, if any of you guys see a toad go by... Grab that sucker, man! <laughs> brother Ross, <laughs> brother Ross. <laughs> I don't have no—I don't have any say when it comes to my glorified body. But I am—I if I had one request to the Lord, it's like, please, nine toes. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, nine toes. So that's no toe. How did he say that? No toe stand. No, that's that's the story of No Toa Stan. Oh my goodness, retarded, absolutely retarded. <laughs> so all these years. From, by the way, give you all a, just a quick guess: who didn't go to the state police uh, camp two weeks later? Now, guess who spent an entire summer on crutches? By the way, let me just share this with you. You know what, that night after mom, grandma's gone, dad's gone, Mr. Smith, thankfully, is gone. And I'm laying in a hospital bed and there's nobody there. Some things transpired between me and the Lord that I would not trade for anything in the world. Because young people, the greatest day of your life will be when you accept God's will over your will. It's not wrong to want something It's not wrong to have a goal. It's not wrong to be heading towards something. Matter of fact, I worry about kids that have no direction. I'm all for you choosing and picking and and heading towards something. And even having a will. But if God shows you his will and it's different than your will and you insist on your will instead of God's will, that's when it becomes a problem. And the honest truth in my heart of hearts, I knew God had something else, and I just didn't really want to talk about it. So, Brother Star, I don't really share much about what that happened that night because it was holy ground. But, young man, young lady, let me say this. God can find a way to get your attention. Well, I'm going to do this, and nobody's going to. Listen, let me just say this, okay? You won't take the next breath if God doesn't let you take the next breath. Most of the time, young people have no real comprehension just how much God is in control and how little we truly are in control. And so, uh, you know what? One of the greatest days of my life was the day that God interrupted my plans and put me in a hospital and on crutches for three months so that I could surrender to his will and not insist on my own. So that is the sermonette before the sermon. Let's go to Romans chapter number 10. Romans chapter number 10. All righty. We're getting the message tonight. You guys have been great. Thank you for everything, everything, everything. Miss Kim, who has played the piano all week. where Where is she? She, all right. I wanted to say thank you, thank you, thank you. The music has been outstanding this week. Every single one of you that worked and prepared and sang a special song, tremendous blessing. Music is so important. I really felt like not only did it feed into the theme, but it fed into the direction. It fed into the message that we were trying to get across. Tremendous, tremendous, tremendous. And I know that she had a number of responsibilities where that is a lot right there. And I just wanted to tell you, I was behind you tonight and thought, I've got to say thank you to you for what you've done. All righty, Romans chapter number 10. If you look at verse number 9, let me get there, Romans chapter 10, very familiar chapter for those of us who know the Romans road and have been trained in soul winning, this would be some of the verses that we would be familiar with. That, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Are you saved? Preacher, we've we've addressed that. We've talked about it. We've affirmed it. We've preached it. You've asked. I know. But I'm going to ask again. Are you saved? Do you know for sure? It would be a travesty to sit here in this environment for an entire week, being lost, go home in that same condition. If you're here in the... And you're not saved. I pray tonight would be the day that you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let's read on. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, and this is going to be our jumping off verse tonight. For the Scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him. Why don't we finish the verse together? Ready? Shall not be ashamed. Heavenly Father, bless, Lord, as we preach this message. May I encourage the young people tonight, challenge them tonight in a very key area of growth during their teenage years. Lord, I pray, dear Lord, that you would help them, dear God, to be able to grow to the point where they learn what it is, to be able to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Meet with us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things you'll find out very early in your life as a Christian is that anytime that you talk about being a Christian out in the world, the world almost inevitably will try to belittle you because of your faith. I'm not saying everybody, and I'm not saying every time. But you're not going to speak up for the Lord very much before you find out that with boldness and with a verbal Christian testimony will come along people that will tell you everything from the fact that uh, you're crazy to, you know what, you shouldn't be talking about that, to that's something you ought to keep private, to laughing at you and ridiculing you. Some people will tell you that your God and your church and your religion is nothing but a crutch, and you'll hear over the course of a lifetime just about every kind of negative reaction just for speaking up for the Lord Jesus Christ. I think the older you get, honestly it probably is a little easier because it's hard during your teenage years as you're growing up in so many areas. And I think you're going through so many changes of life. And you get into that time of life where you want to be accepted and and you don't want to be ridiculed. and 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 things that might be said to me that would mean absolutely nothing said to you would be very hurtful. And it's just hard. Come on, let's just face it. It's hard sometimes to speak out. It's hard sometimes to... to to, to speak out for the Lord Jesus Christ, to be as bold in our faith as we ought to be. But I want to preach on the subject tonight. The, The title of the message is Not Ashamed, Not Ashamed. I would like to send you home with a determined decision on this last night of camp that you are not going to be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not going to be ashamed that you're saved. You're not going to be ashamed to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not going to be ashamed of the Word of God, and even in the face of persecution, you still will refuse to be ashamed. To be ashamed. The Bible says here that whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed. Let me just interpret that and help you with it. The Bible is basically saying if you choose to be saved and if you believe on Christ, then you become a Christian. You become a Christian. And by the way, you should not be ashamed of what you are. Okay? I'll ask the question tonight. How many of you, all the way from the front to the back to outside, uh, in the yard back there, how many of you are saved? Preacher, I'm a Christian. There's a time in my life where I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. All right? You received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now, let me tell you what that makes you. That makes you a Christian. That makes you born again. That makes you a child of God. That, listen to me, that is what you are. Okay? And by the way, you're going to be glad you are on the day you die. You're going to be glad you are if the rapture happens tonight. Amen? But there's something that the devil does in the heart of a young person where he begins to attack that. And he wants you to be ashamed of what you are. Let me see if I can illustrate this. You know, I think if you are something and you have to be ashamed of it, then you should not be it. Now, folks, a Christian is not one of those things. We shouldn't be ashamed that we're a Christian. People ought to be ashamed if they're not a Christian. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to change your thinking and renewing of your mind. Somebody begins to ridicule me and try to make me feel ashamed for being a Christian. I'm sorry, but of the two of us, I'm not the one that ought to be ashamed. They're the ones that ought to be ashamed. You know why? Because every single day of their life, they walk through life treading underfoot the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are rejecting the love of God. They're making a mockery out of Calvary. You see, I'm not the one that ought to be ashamed for being saved. Shame on you for not being saved. But if you are something, you shouldn't be ashamed of it. For instance, (laughs) we were talking football. We got this demon-possessed, there she is back there, this demon-possessed New England Patriot fan. Now, if anybody ought to be ashamed of something, but she's not. You know what? I'm a Bears fan. I know my life for the last 30 years has been pretty much miserable. (laughs) But I'm a Chicago Bears fan. You know how you recognize a Chicago Bears fan? Because they only talk about one year. 1985. That's the only year they want to talk about. 1985. Okay. Now, (laughs) but I'm a Bears fan. I'm not ashamed of it. If I was ashamed of it, then I shouldn't be it. And there's days that I thought maybe I shouldn't be this, but I am. My wife's parents are from Oshkosh, Wisconsin. All right. You know football a little bit. All right. Every single Thanksgiving for the first 20 years of our marriage, I would pack the wife and the kids in the car and every Thanksgiving we would make the trip to Wisconsin to visit Cheryl's mom and dad. They're actually from a little town called Berlin, Wisconsin, which is just to the west of Oshkosh, Wisconsin. We get there right before Thanksgiving, and let me tell you what the job of a son-in-law is, okay? My job is just the guy that transports the daughter and the kids to see the parents. They will, for a few minutes, pretend that they're glad to see you and recognize your existence, but that is very short. And then they really don't care if the rest of the time you just go stand in the corner because they really just want to see their daughter and the kids. And from time to time look over and make some polite conversation with you. That's pretty much our relationship, all right. So, after a couple of days, I get bored. Now we have let's see, Thanksgiving on Thursday, right? So we're with the family. And then what do we have on Friday? What's that called? Black Friday? Black Black Friday. All right, so I told my wife, and by the way, I hate shopping. She knows I hate shopping. So She said, I say on Friday, I'm bored. I said, you know what? I think I'm going to take a drive and uh, maybe do a little shopping. She goes, huh? Yeah, you know, do something. You hate shopping. I'm just going to take a drive. My wife's a suspicious woman. So she says, uh, where are you going? Well, just I'm going to take a drive. Okay. She says, where are you going? I said, woman, you just go spend time with your mama, your daddy. I got this under control. She says, I'm going to go look in the trunk. You don't need to be looking in the trunk. She said, I know what you brought in that trunk. I said, you don't know what's in that trunk. She said, I know what's in that trunk. I said, how do you know what's in that trunk? Because I know you. She said, is your Chicago Bears jacket in that trunk? I don't, I don't remember if I might have packed it. Uh, she said, it's in there, isn't it? I got this Chicago Bears jacket made out of leather. It's got a bear's head on the back of it about that big around. It says right across the front, Chicago Bears. I said, I'm just going to take a drive. She said, I know what you're going to do. I'm just going to take a drive. That's what I'm going to do. So I go out there. I get in the car. I drive down the block. Get out of sight of the house. Pull the car over. Go get in the trunk. <laughs> How do women know everything? (laughs) Put on my Chicago Bears jacket. If you drive from Berlin, Wisconsin, over to Oshkosh, then you can get on the main drag heading north, and guess where you end up? Green Bay, Wisconsin. Now, if you know anything about football, the Green Bay Packers and the Chicago Bears have absolutely nothing in common. You cannot love the Chicago Bears without hating the Green Bay Packers. It's kind of like what the brother was preaching this morning, okay? You either love God or you love the world, but you can't love both. And if you're a Green Bay Packer fan, it is your sworn duty to hate the Chicago Bears. And so I go to a shopping mall in Green Bay, Wisconsin, for only one reason. (laughs) I'm not shopping. I don't shop. But let me tell you what I'm really good at, irritating people. (laughs) And I just get out of the car. And come on, you can imagine back there, come on, all right? That's like you showing up with your New England stuff in Indianapolis. Good things are not going to happen to you. And so I get out, and I just start walking around the parking lot. And I've got people stopping and staring I've got people opening the doors of their car and screaming at me. No, I'm not kidding. I've got people that are, I think they were saying one way Jesus. (laughs) May not have been that finger, but I mean they were they were vicious. I walk into a store and the lady behind the counter goes, She's mad. She's mad that I'm in her store. She's like, not can I help you? She's, what do you want? I said, I'm shopping what I want I'm shopping she said well hurry in a store I went and picked some things up that I didn't even need just so I could go over near to her more and I laid it on the counter I said ring me up she said no she said no I said do you work here she said I do work here then ring me up she said I'm not ringing you up unless you take that jacket off I said, nothing's going to get this jacket off of me. Matter of fact, you can bring a hundred of your kind and they aren't getting this jacket off. Of- I'm about to get in a fist fight with this woman. At the- Say, preacher, why did you put that jacket on? Okay, like I said, I like irritation people. Because I'm not ashamed. You now I don't understand somebody being something and then spending their life being ashamed of it. Now, folks... We talked football, but we're talking about something much greater than that. Jesus Christ saved your soul. I mean, the hour before you got saved, if you'd have died, you'd have split hell wide open. And so would I. After I got saved, I've got the promise and the assurance from the Lord that no matter what happens to me, I'm going to get to spend eternity in heaven. I mean, God sent the Holy Spirit on that moment of conversion to come inside of me. And I don't have to walk one step of this life alone. He's given me a perfectly preserved Bible so I can have instruction and the Holy Spirit inside of me to tutor me as I'm reading it. He's given me access to the blood of Jesus Christ right to the throne of the Father. I can go right to the throne of the Father. And you know what? I can call him Father. And then for some reason, the devil comes alongside of us and says, you ought to be ashamed. I mean, we can talk about that. Come on, let's just be honest. We can talk about the weather. We can talk about sports. We can talk about almost anything with a lost person. But then we get to that point where we know we need to speak up about Jesus or give our testimony or share a track or give him an invite to church. And what happens? All of a sudden, something inside of us just why? What is that? Brother Star, my path was, I got saved in an American Baptist church. We went to a Southern Baptist church. My dad got to called to preach. I won't go through the whole story. My dad's first church was an American Baptist church. But my dad began to read and study the Bible, listened to Oliver B. Green on the radio while he was going back and forth to work. He was bivocational. Got some a magazine or a paper that someone got gave him called the Sword of the Lord and began to read and study and if you just study the Bible eventually it will take you to being an independent Fundamental Baptist and Dad realized in the middle of pastoring an American Baptist Church after he did research on it American Baptist Church charter member of the American Council of Churches which is a member of the World Council of Churches and he finally approached the church and just said. That's not what we are. That's not who I am. That's not who we ought to be And a big fight was fought. And, and next thing you know, he's not the pastor. And then he left that place and just several months later started for the first time in his life an, an independent fundamental Baptist church. The only reason I'm telling you this is I didn't grow up independent fundamental Baptist. I didn't know anything about soul winning. I didn't. I wasn't taught the Romans road. I, I kind of started getting all of that about the time. I'm in my teenage years. Now, the reason I'm sharing that with you is I want you to understand the progression of my life. Okay, when we finally got to be teenagers and I was about eighth grade, ninth grade. Our youth director came in and for the first time, dad had given him some materials to teach us how to win somebody to Christ. This is my first introduction to it. it happened when I was just about going into high school. He taught through that course. We sat out there and took notes and tried to listen and learn. He paired us up and let us practice on each other. And I thought, well, that's a good thing to know. And then he did something that absolutely terrified me. He said, after we went through the course now, young people, pastor wants us next Saturday. I want you to get here at 10 o'clock in the morning and we're going to have an activity. Oh, I like activities. And the activity is we're going to get on the bus And we're going to go to Jasonville and I'm going to drop two of you off at the beginning of every street. And you're going to go knock doors and pass out tracks and try to lead somebody to the Lord. And brother, I'm telling you, I mean, for me, that was like, oh, my goodness sakes, I cannot do this. He paired me up that Saturday with a friend of mine, Eric Nicholas, the guy that drove me 120 miles an hour. All right, Me and him got paired off of the same street. And Eric was as terrified as I was. And we get off, and he said, "Uh, are you really going to do this? No, I promised. The bus left, and we're talking. We got our tracks. We're at the beginning of the street. We're looking down. He said, are you really going to do this? I said, "I, I don't know. Do we have a choice? He said, I've been thinking about it. I said, what? He said, I'm thinking that I'm not doing this. And I said, "You're scared. I'm not scared. I just don't want to do it." He was scared. He said, "You're the preacher's kid. I'll follow you." I said, "Wait a minute. This stuff is as new to me as it is to you." And we're just—Are you imagine this? Here's a couple guys that are 14, 15 years of age, and we are absolutely terrified to walk to the first house, up to the steps, and knock on the door and say, "Hello. My name's Jerry Ross. I'm from Blessed Old Beth." Ba- I'd never done it. I was absolutely. I'm trying to help you. Preacher, I struggle with this. So did I. So Eric's idea was this. This is terrible. And, and we were both. I think Eric saved. I think I was saved in our heart of hearts. I promise you this is true. We wanted to see people saved. I told you about passing out tracks and sneaking them in my school. I told you about mailing them. That's a whole different thing. Now they want us to talk to people. (laughs) And this is what Eric said. It sounds terrible now to say it out loud. He said, could we take the tracks and like see the gutter? We could like throw them in the gutter, run down to where we're supposed to be done and tell them we put them on the doors. I mean, this is the conversation we're having. And I was a little better Christian than him. So I said, you know, we can't do that. He's like, no, we can't do that. He said, well, what do we do? And I said, all right, this is the plan. We're going to sneak up to the first door. First of all, we're not knocking on any doors. We will sneak up to the first door. We will climb quietly up to the steps. We will throw the track towards the door. And we will go to the next house. And that's how we're going to get out of the track. He said, that's what we'll do. Super Christians. And so that's what we did. You should have seen us two guys. It must look like we were getting ready to rob the place. We look so guilty. We're looking everywhere. We're walking. We're getting closer. We're listening. If somebody would have popped out around the corner or stepped out, we'd have just walked right past that. I'm terrified. We got to the first house. He came around the corner by the steps. He flipped that track, and, man, we, we took off like we burglarized the place. Got to the next house, or got to the sidewalk, started walking. He said, that wasn't so bad. I said, okay, it's my turn. Why are you sharing this? I want you to understand something. It's hard for all of us. It's not easy for all of us, for any of us. Every once in a while, maybe every great once in a while, I'll just meet a Christian that's a new convert that just seems like, man, he's got the gift, and it's a, he's a natural. But for most of us, the idea of having boldness in this matter of sharing the gospel is a foreign concept. I hope that you're relating to me. We kept going soul winning. They kept having soul winning activities. I kept having chances at my workplace. The door would open wide in conversation with one of my buddies. And I knew I should speak up for the Lord and I wouldn't be able to and I wouldn't do it. I'd go on soul winning. I I couldn't knock on doors. And young people, let me tell you what I believe is the first step in gaining boldness for soul winning and gaining boldness for the Lord. There has to come a point in time in your life where you finally become ashamed of being ashamed. And that's where I got to. I just got to the point where I, I remember coming home and, man, I was watching some of the teen girls do it. I was watching other guys that were picking up on it. I'd go sewing so in with some adult men and they didn't seem to have any problem. And I'd go home and I'd say to myself, Lord, what's wrong with me? I mean, I want to see people saved. I even made the decision and asked you to help me see somebody saved. But man alive, when it comes down to crunch time, I just can't do it. And I finally went and talked to my dad about it. By the way, young people, let me say this. If If you've got something that you're battling and something that's an issue in your life, I don't know what it is. Well, I do. The devil seems like the first thing he wants to do is tell young people, well, You shouldn't go talk to your mom and dad about it. They are exactly the people that you ought to go talk about it. And my dad could see that I was being bothered by something. He finally said to me, Jerry, he said, I I just noticed that you're saying something's wrong. And I said, Dad, I don't don't know what to say, and I'm embarrassed. He said, just talk to me. And he said, I said, Dad, I told him, I said, Dad, I'm going to tell you what. There's hardly anything I'm scared to do in life. I mean, anything. But when it comes to this one thing. I can't get past it. And my dad gave me some of the best advice. I'm going to give it to you. He said, Jerry, he said, uh, I can give you some tips. I can give you some pointers. But he said, when I first got saved, I struggled through the same thing. And he said, finally, I did a word study. And I said, what's that? And he said, I'll show you. He went and got his concordance. He opened it up. He went to the bees. And he said, see these words here, bold boldly and boldness? I said, yep. He said, I want you to take one verse a day and I want you to read it and look at it and see if you can figure out what the Bible's talking about there, if it gives you a clue or a principle or something that'll help you to be more bold for the Lord. And then we'll talk about it when you get done. Hey, moms and dads, let me give you some good advice. If your kids come to you with an issue, one of the best things you can do is point them to this book right here. And you know what? I know that you could give them the answer, but how much more profitable for them if they have to go in and study it out for themselves? And so that's what my dad did. And several weeks later, several weeks later, he came to me and said, how you doing? I said, I've just about got that study done. He said, when you get it done, I want to talk to you. And we went back over those boldness verses. And God gave me about 20 principles. Obviously, I'm not going to preach a 20 point message tonight. But you know what? I believe that preaching isn't supposed to give you all of the answers. It's supposed to whet your appetite to want to get into the word of God and get some answers. This maybe isn't for everybody tonight, but I'm talking about the the young man or the young lady and and you kind of are tired of being ashamed of the Lord. Preacher, I am saved and I am a Christian and I shouldn't be ashamed of it. And I do truly want to see people get saved. But there's, there's a battle that goes inside of me. It's just hard for me to speak up. It's hard for me to do it. It's hard for me to share my faith. And by the way, that wouldn't be an issue that's just limited to young people. A lot of adults battle that same issue in their life. And so dad had me look at several of these verses and we went over them together. And he began to come up with a plan where we would begin to adopt these principles and build them into my life. And I studied this thing, I thought to myself, well, the first thing I came upon was this idea of Christlikeness. Because one of the attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ was that he was bold. Wouldn't you agree if you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that we have a Savior who was not afraid to speak up and say what he needed to say when he needed to say it? And one of the things that Dad helped me to see is this. Jerry, if the ultimate goal of the Christian life is to be like Jesus then we cannot claim that we are like Christ until we achieve boldness. And I thought to myself, well, if Jesus was bold, and I'm supposed to be like Jesus, then I want to be bold. Well, in conjunction with that, I also got into Acts chapter number 4, where the apostles were persecuted for speaking up and speaking for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I read this verse. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. And I said, you know what? It's an attribute of Jesus. And these men spent time with Jesus. And because they spent time with Jesus, they had a boldness to speak out. And you know what, young people, you're not going to be bold for the Lord until you decide that you're going to walk with the Lord and you're going to spend time with the Lord. You see, that morning devotion and that Bible study and, and, and that time of reading the Bible and prayer, it does a lot of things for us, but what it does more than any other thing is it puts us in the presence of God for a while. And I want to tell you this, I don't believe in just going to God and spending time with Him during my morning devotions. We we talk a lot about morning devotions, but we don't speak as much as we ought to about the principle of walking with God. Because I believe that morning devotions ought to be just our opening conversation with the Lord that then should continue throughout the whole day. I heard one preacher say this morning devotions to me is like taking my cell phone and calling the Lord, and having saying good morning Lord, and talking for a while, but instead of hanging up, I just put it on speakerphone and leave it on all day long so we can talk all through the day. Young people, listen to me. When you begin to truly walk with God, when you become aware of the presence of God in your life, when you begin to speak to Him throughout the day, when you begin to to lean on His presence and, and recognize that He's there. You know what? With that comes a boldness because you realize no matter where you go, you are not alone. Amen. I was knocking on some doors and it was getting about dark in Chicago and it was about time to leave from our bus calling during my college days and... The sun's starting to set, and here comes a Chicago police cruiser. I'm the only white guy in this neighborhood left. And this black uh, lady officer says, hey, you, come here. And I go over, and I thought I've done something wrong, and I leaned down. And she said, you live around here? And I said, no, ma'am. Do you know where you're at? (laughs) I said, yes, ma'am. I think I do. She said, you think maybe you ought to go home? I said, and why why would that be? This is not the place at this time of night that you ought to be alone. And she was trying to help me. I mean, it's real, folks. It's real. You can act like it's not, but it's real. And I looked at her and I said, ma'am, I'm not alone. And she looked. She looked. Who are you with? I said, ma'am, with the Lord. She said, good, because in about an hour, you're going to need him. <laughs> hey, I got I, I got a suggestion for you. Why don't you let that presence of God become that real in your life? OK, I, I'm, I'm talking about Bible principles, I'm talking about overcoming this idea of being ashamed i'm talking about gaining the boldness another thing i noticed was a man by the name of joseph of Arimathea. the bible says he was a secret disciple isn't that what it says that means he chose to live out his faith quietly and privately because he was afraid of the repercussions of those around him he was saved but he was not a bold christian but then we read this and after this after what i'll tell you what And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate. Matter of fact, in Mark 15, it says that he went in boldly unto Pilate. He besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Now, wait a minute. Here's a man that has stayed in the shadows and been a secret disciple. And has never been able to stand up publicly for Christ. And yet it says, and after this, he went boldly into the presence of Pilate and besought the body of Jesus. All right. After this. After this. Are you thinking? After what? After what? You got it right. Say it out loud. Be bold. After after what? The cross. The crucifixion. Let me tell you what changed Joseph of Arimathea. He'd been a secret Christian. He'd been ducking and dodging. Great at changing the subject. Can't speak up or speak out for the Lord. But he sat there, stood there, and watched Jesus die for him. You know what my dad told me? Jerry, try this. For the next 30 days... For your devotions, part of your devotions, go to Matthew and read the account of the crucifixion. Go to Mark and read the account of the crucifixion. I'm trying to give you real life stuff, kids. You know what Brother Starr said is so, so true and so important. I'm going to try to address it again in the morning. But let me tell you something. An emotional decision or a quick decision that's made at camp usually doesn't last. Hardly the bus ride home unless you come home with a plan on how you are going to change you. I would love to see everybody in here say, okay, preacher, I'm struggling with this matter of boldness. I'm not as bold as I ought to be. I mean, what have I got to lose? I got up the next morning. I went to Matthew and I read the account of the crucifixion. And by the way, I hope that you got a good imagination. Tell me you do. I don't just read the Bible, I see the story. Are are you understanding me? Am I alone on this? Sometimes I don't know if I'm crazy or if everybody... I don't read... It doesn't do any good to just look at black words on white paper. Say them out loud in sequence and not think. We read the Bible too fast. We read the Bible too fast. So all I've got to do is read four accounts. So you know what I did? I'd read a verse and I I would watch it like a movie in my head. I'd go to Mark and I'd read the crucifixion story and I'd watch. I'd watch him. One of the gospels says this. And they and they sat down, they sat down and watched him. I'm not saying it perfectly. And I remember seeing that and saying, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just every morning I'm going to sit down and watch this happen. And I read Matthew's account. I read Mark's account. I, I read Luke's account. I read John's account then i meditated on it throughout the day and then the next morning he was you know what i came out way with he was not ashamed to be put to shame for me i'm not trying to be gross i'm not trying to be nasty but do you understand that jesus was stripped naked before he was placed on a cross do you realize that he could have called 10,000 angels that's not just a song If the Son of God wanted to, all he had to do was look to heaven and say, No, I'm not doing this. And every angel from heaven would have spilled over the ramparts of heaven with flaming swords and they would have went down and got their king. You realize that he let them lash him 39 times with the cat of nine tails. Do You realize the blood that was shed on the cross, we talk about the blood that was shed on the cross, did not start on the cross that it started at the base of that pole. And that blood tracked every step of the way up that hill. And, poured, and that was the blood that paid for my sins and your sins. Do you realize he stayed on that cross while those, those Sadducees and Pharisees marched back and forth in front of him. And mocked him and made fun of him and dared him to come off. Why did he stay? And I can't pull out a stinking gospel track. Not a stinking gospel track. I can't pull out a gospel track and just say, hey, this will tell you what Jesus did for you. Come on. Come on, kids. What I'm saying is, you know, well, that's just how I am. That's just my person. You know, we hide about... No, no. You know what it is? There's Bible principles. I don't care how God made you. I don't care what your personality is. I don't care if you're not an ex- Stop hiding behind it. The honest truth is, the Bible gives us the principles that can take us from being a very timid witness to being a very bold witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. But we got to care enough to study them out. So me and my dad just kept meeting. We came to this verse. Come on, young people. This is what camp's about. And I'm going to focus on this for a few minutes. In fact, go to Proverbs chapter 28. I'm trying to help you. I hope, you're, I hope it's working. Man, if we could get every young person in this camp to go home and decide the next 30, the next 60, the next 90 days, I'm going to get into the Bible. I'm going to study this matter of boldness. I'm going to write out some principles. I'm going to begin to change some things in my life. And I'm going to begin to obey those principles. I promise you, Brother Star, this is the truth. This guy right here, who was trying to practically crawl up to a step to flip a track on the step, terrified to speak to somebody about Jesus, six months in the Bible, applying those principles, and brother, I was leading the pack. Because we say it, but we don't believe it. This book can change you. Amen. Are you there? Proverbs 28. Look at verse number one. Let's read it together. Ready? Ready? The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous is bold as a lion. The Who flees when no man pursueth? Okay, and now we get to this verse, and me and my dad are sitting down. He's like, all right, you ready? Put your seatbelt on. You want to talk about why you can't, why you can't, why you can't? Yeah. The wicked flee when no man pursueth. He said, Jerry, I can't read your heart, and really it's not between me and you, it's between you and God. But he said, what you better do, if you are serious about getting over here and being as bold as they were in the book of Acts, you know, that's what we want. We want the church to become what it used to be. That's the example. That's the template. I mean, where the Bible says those early day Christians went from house to house every day. They ceased not to preach and teach Jesus Christ. Show me that church. We all read it. We study it. We aspire to be it. But the Bible says, that the, and you know what I had to do? I had to say to myself, okay, the wicked flee when no man perceives. You know what that means? That means if you're doing something wrong, you, with the wrong comes the feeling of guilt. And with the wrong comes the fear of getting caught. Friends, I guess I'll straight this way. Okay, it's late at night. I'm up in Indianapolis. I'm doing hospital business. I'm driving home late at night. It's about 11 o'clock at night. It's right before Halloween. I'm getting ready to go down through this little bird called Clay City, Indiana. That's on the way to Jasonville. It's about 10 miles from where I live. And as I'm going towards Main Street, I see a couple boys sneaking out of a little side street. And they just look like they're up to something. Junior high boys. And they just look guilty. And they kind of peek around the corner a couple of times. And I turn my headlights off and I pull over. And I turn the car off, and I'm like, they're up to something. i got to see this. I know it's about Halloween. So they finally, and, man, this is small town Indiana. You know, small town Indiana, about 6 o'clock, we just rolled the sidewalks up. I mean, it's done. The place closes down, okay? So Main Street's completely empty. It's about 11 o'clock at night. Here are these two little boys, and they're sneaking up and down and looking to see if anybody's there, and they can't see that I'm in the car, but I'm just about a half block from them. I'm watching what they're doing. And those boys pull out of their pocket. This could be just an Indiana thing. <laughs> I've shared this several places, and people looked at me. Please tell me somebody's done this. They pull out of their pocket, both of them, a bar of soap. Because in southern Indiana, a long-stating tradition Is that on Halloween, we take soap and we sneak to the neighbor's houses and we soap their windows. What does that mean? Okay, I don't want anybody doing this tonight, all right? But that means you take a bar of soap and you go over to the glass and you go like this and it leaves white marks all over and you soap the window. How many of you have ever heard of soaping a window at Halloween? How many of you have never heard of this till tonight? I am so glad I've come to bring the gospel to the Lord Jesus Christ. Revival's about to get here, amen. So they pull out of their pocket, soap. And I'm like, this is going to be good. They're wanting to get the stores on Main Street. And they absolutely look guilty as sin because they're guilty of sin. And they get over to the first window. And they look, and they just start going like this, crazy. And I'm watching. them. They go to the next window, they go like this, and they're going crazy. And I finally can't stand it, so I just put my hand on the horn. And I just let it rip. And those boys wet themselves. Man, (laughs) They threw the soap up in the air. They ran into each other. They tried to untangle. They, They tried to make the alley, hit the side of the building and clawed their way around to the alley and ran. And I didn't follow them. I didn't chase them. I just beat my horse. That's what this verse is talking about. Let me say this very plainly. Sin will make a coward out of you. I said sin will make a coward out of you. You know my daddy taught me? He said, Jerry, listen to me. You're going to go out and do the real business of God. You're going to go out there and and be the tip of the sword. You're going to go out there and hit the front lines. You're going to go out there and stand like you need to stand. You got to be clean. Come on, come on. I mean, ladies, it's hard to witness to that neighbor next door if the day before you gossiped with her. Come on now, men, it's hard to it's hard to witness to that coworker if the two days before that you stood there and laughed at a dirty joke he told. You know what? I found one of the best cures as far as helping through the process of sanctification is getting a new convert out soul winning. Because things that I won't even dress him about yet, because maybe I don't feel like he's ready for, the world will address it to him. I had a guy that just got saved a couple weeks, and he said, Hey, can I go soul winning with you? And I said, Sure, buddy. And he said, Man, he's amazed, you know, got that new convert zeal, and he shows up, and he's got a pack of cigarettes in his pocket. You say, Pastor Ross, you did not let him go soul winning with you. Oh, yeah, I did. You say, Why? Because I'm going to let that take care of it. We knocked on several doors. I'm trying to talk to him. They keep looking at this guy, looking at his pocket. I'm trying to talk to him. About the third door I was there, the guy said, excuse me a minute. He's like, you know, I smoke, but I'm not a Christian. What are, you, are you saved? I didn't say a word to him. You know what? Next week he came to me and said, gave up my smoking. I said, why? He said, well, how can I tell people? How can I tell people? Are you listening to me? You know, if we would just obey the Great Commission, you'd be surprised how many things it would take care of. Preacher, I'm going to go out and just every week obey the Great Commission. And let me tell you something. You're going to get frustrated real quickly because you either don't have the boldness you ought to have or somebody begins to address some issues in your life directly to you because the world expects us to be different. And young people, I'm trying to get you there. Some of you may be there. Some of the boldest Christians I've ever seen, young people, I'm talking about boldest witnesses I've ever seen in my life, have been teenagers. But you know what? It's not just because they're born that way. It's because they begin to take some things seriously in their life, and they begin to get some things right with God, and they begin to get clean before the Lord. And let me tell you something, the righteous, when you get right with God, and you can be right with God. The devil's convinced some of you. Preacher, I've got so many things in my life and I'm so messed up and I'm so far gone. I could never be right with God. That's a lie of the devil. You can be. You could be. So you've got to get serious about it. And so I began to just go before the Lord. By the way, this is so good to do. And I got begin to go before the Lord and I began to pray the prayer that David prayed. And this is what I'd pray. I'd say, search me, oh God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. Come on, young man. See if there'd be any wicked way in me. And then i just get quiet before the Lord. Let me tell you something. You pray that prayer and you mean it. God, God's Holy Spirit is not shy at taking his finger and going, boom. And all of a sudden, he began to make me confront some things. My attitude towards my parents. My attitude towards different authority members. Like you said, you know, it's not always easy to show the kind of respect you ought to to everybody. But, man, here's the thing. Okay, it's almost like God said, you want to be a bold Christian? You want to see people saved? You want to have your life count for eternity? Is this sin worth not having that? I guess I'm asking you that. I'll tell you one thing, I don't care, I went to camp and I didn't care what they were going to say, I ain't giving my music up for anybody. Well, let me tell you something else you're not doing. You're not seeing anybody say, and by the way, you're a spiritual coward. I said you're a spiritual coward, because that music will make you a spiritual coward. I don't care how brave you are, I don't care what you can do on the sports field, I don't care what you can do outdoors, I said when it comes to the things of God, sin will make you a coward brother, I had to spend some months just getting my life right and getting myself pure. And by the way, sometimes the Holy Spirit would say, you remember what you said to so-and-so. You never did go back and make that right. Well, well, that's humbling and that's embarrassing. And and they probably forgot about it. Well, God's not forgot about it. And brother, it took me about six months just to go through the process of getting myself clean enough where I could begin to feel that boldness that comes with being right with God. Being right with God. I'm waiting your appetite. I'll give you three or four. There's about 20 of them. How bad do you want it? What do you want to be? What kind of Christian young person do you want to be? Hey, do you want to graduate and leave the youth group? And when you leave the youth group, you can't look back and point at one teenager that you were able to win and give back to your youth group. I believe every senior that leaves their youth group ought to be replacing themselves with somebody. But you're not going to do it if you're not willing to get clean and right before the Lord. Please listen to the Holy Spirit of God. You go somewhere someone and you try to have that boldness. Let me tell you, that little sin you've made all the excuses for, all of a sudden you won't be able to make excuses for it anymore. The Holy Spirit will just keep bringing it up to you and bringing it up to you and bringing it up to you. And I just decided there's no sin that's worth causing somebody else to go to hell over. is this good stuff? I learned it. I learned it. I learned it. You know, I talked about hanging around Jesus will help make you bold. You know, the book of Acts tells us and teaches us that when you hang around other bold Christians, it helps you become bold. I'll give you a couple suggestions. Read the biographies of courageous Christians. Read about those fathers that went before us that we talked about following in their footsteps. And I began to read christian biographies of men that did amazing things and stood up and you know what it did it put inside of me you know what i want to be that i want to do that i begin to seek out the men and the young men in my church that had a holy spirit boldness about them and you know what the more i hung around them the more bold i got for the lord jesus christ you hang around cowards it'll make you a coward you hang around bold christians you'll catch some of it Just giving you some things. Well, I went through that process. Young people, I'm still sometimes not as bold as I wish I was. But I want to say this, and listen to me. I think I've laid the groundwork. I think you understand. I'm giving the credit to God, and I'm giving the credit to the Bible for changing me. But I'm not that little kid that can't walk up to a door anymore. And I've preached in just about every... Every environment imaginable. And I've witnessed to to people that you couldn't. What I'm saying is that it's not because Jerry Ross was born that way. It's not because Brother Starr was born that way. It's not because your mom and dad was born that way. There's a price you pay for it. But let me tell tell you about the people that pay the price if you're not willing to pay that price. So I get into Bible college. And I know this stuff now. And I'm heading down that road. My dad said, "Hey, even in Bible college, don't let circumstance dictate who your friends are. You look ahead of you and find some upperclassmen that have a Holy Spirit boldness about them and and have a a righteous life about them and a and a desire, and a burning desire to serve God. And you hang with that crowd. And I took my dad's advice. Did you hear me, young man? How many of the things that worked out good for me is because I was willing to listen to my dad." I went to Bible college, I said, I'm going to do what daddy told me to do. I was given roommates and they were all right guys, but they were freshmen like me. You know what I did? I got to know them and I tried to be a friend to them, but that's not who I let dictate. I didn't make that, let that roommate assignment dictate my best friends. You know what I did? I started walking the hallways and I started looking for those guys that you could just tell. buddy. they're talking about they can't wait till the weekend and they're talking about a place they're going to get to go preach. They're talking about somebody that won to Christ. And, buddy, if you're looking for them, you can find them. Or if you're looking for the losers, you can find them. It's amazing how these crowds just kind of find each other, man. I don't care if it's in a Christian college, Christian school or church camp. They always find each other. And I started doing exactly what the book of Acts said. I began to hang around those. You know what it says in the book of Acts? And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled, where they were assembled. And when they had prayed, where are they praying? Get to that group. Where is the place being shaken? Get to that group. And the place was shaken where they were assembled together. Together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. Amen. So I found that crowd that was over here, man. I mean, I found the I found the crazy goods. You thought I was born crazy good. I was I found the crazy goods. That's what I did. I met this one guy and I could just tell, man, he was just excited. He he was a freshman like me, but, man, he was on a whole different level of excitement. And You could just tell he was just on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. And So I struck up a friendship with him. We ate lunch one day together, and he opened his wallet, and he had to get some out, and he laid it open. And his driver's license picture was on his wallet, and I said to him, Is that your sister? And I wasn't joking. This dude had blonde hair. I mean... For a guy, he was a pretty girl. And he went and shut it like that. I said, no, no, no. Who's that? He's like, oh, man, that's me. I said, it's what? He said, that's me. I said, okay, man, I got to know the story. Tell me how you got saved. kid was from Los Angeles. He was in a street gang in Los Angeles. He stumbled into an independent fundamental Baptist church. One of his buddies had got shot in a gang war and died, and he got scared. He decided he was going to go to church. And for some reason, he ended up in an independent fundamental Baptist church and got saved. And he got excited and he went back. He told me this story. I had to laugh. He told me this story. He said, I went to that church and I got saved. And he said, I was so excited and so pumped. And all I could think about was my buddies, my gang members that weren't saved. And he said, I knew where they hung out on Sunday night, which bar they were in. So he said, I went over to the bar, and I walked into the bar, and I said to all my buddies, gather around. He said, drinks are on me. I got something to celebrate. I got saved. And then he said, all of a sudden, something went. (laughs) He said, wait a minute. (laughs) I can't buy drinks anymore. I got saved. And I thought, here, I'm a PK." When I walk in a bar and say, hey, everybody, gather around, let me tell you how I got saved? You, you know who I find myself? Here I'm a preacher's kid growing up, okay, preacher's kid growing up, independent, fundamental, Baptist for the last part. And I didn't do it on purpose. But you know, a good portion of the close friends I had in Bible college were guys that had just been saved right out of the world. And, buddy, they would seen the other side, and they were on fire for Jesus that's why you ought to reach some new kids in your youth group. Because I'm going to tell you something. Those first generation teenagers sometimes put you all to shame. They're not tempted by all that junk. They just got out of all that junk. They just got rescued for it. And, and I, I'm drawn to people that have different personalities. Don't ask me why, but I am. People that some people consider weird, I think they're cool. And you know, normal bores me. Just does. So pretty soon, I'm hanging around a group of guys. And I mean, you know what? We had the time of our lives and had fun. But every one of these guys, very unique personalities. But the one thing that drew us all together was we had a desire to go out and make an impact for the Lord Jesus Christ. We wanted to see souls. saved. We wanted to make a difference. And we gave ourselves to that. That little short guy with the long blonde hair. He's the one who got me in the bus with me. He said, hey, what are you doing on weekends? I said, I don't know. I just got here. He said, why don't you come? He said, there's a friend of mine. There's a bus route. We'll go on the bus route together. And I said, all right. And so I went on the bus route the first week, and we went over there, and we started knocking on doors. And again, you know, I've gotten on this side of it, but I'm still not bold as some of the, hey, it's always good to hang around somebody who's a little farther along than you are. All right, so I'm hanging around the him, and man, he's got a fire, and I, I watch him witness to people that i had been scared to go talk to, and it's just like there was no fear, next thing you know, and we got done, we visited all day, and we all meet on this intersection of this main thoroughfare in Chicago, and pretty busy street this way, semi-busy street here, they meet every Saturday night, we met there, and they said, all right, guys, Give me some testimonies. And they're testifying. And I'm looking around thinking, we're out here where everybody can see us. And they're just telling stories about what God did. And then they said, let's pray. And they all got down on their knees on their face. And I'm standing there. And I thought, shouldn't one of us stand up in case we're attacked? And you know, there ought to be a... And I but I got down on my... You say, wait a minute. You mean in public? You mean you're down on your face? You mean... And then after they got done praying all the way around, it took several minutes. And I'm talking about, you know, I'd hear horns blast and I'd hear people yell stuff and they didn't care. They just pray. And then the leader of the group there got up and started singing. You ever heard this chorus? Let God arise and his enemies be. And you know what happened? They all start clapping and singing it as loud as they you, Some of you are sitting there preacher. I there's no I would have ran. I would have hid. Why? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Well, I don't know about that stuff. Have you read the book of Acts? Can I, can I suggest something? Why isn't that normal? You ask the kids that have grown up in my youth group. I love embarrassing them. We go on a teen trip. They know what's going to happen now. There's, some reason, there's a reason some of them don't like to go on teen trips. We were in a five guys restaurant. Five guys! How many like five guys? How many don't even know where five guys is? You've never had five guys in your life? Brother, come on now. That's, that's what you gotta do. Okay, get a scar, go to five guys. That's the two things. We get down at five guys restaurant, man. I love getting to know the people that work at a place. You know, I walk up there and I said, Hey, I got a bunch of teenagers gonna clean here. Is that going to overwhelm you? No, I think we can handle it. You need me to jump over? I can help do fries or something. They're like, no, no. So I get to know them. At the end of it, I walk up and I said, hey, the kids do okay? Yeah, they did great. They were real nice. I said, hey, can we sing for you? And my kids are like, oh. And they'll say, what? You know, can they sing? I can sing you a song before we leave. Yeah. All right. Hey, blessed hopers, come here. Okay, this is Julie. I met her. She wants us to sing to everybody. Hey, bring them them from the back. And they come up, and we sing to them. And you know what all the people in the restaurant did? They're all standing on their chairs with their phones videotaping us. You say, preacher, there is no, why not? This is how we let our kids go through their entire teen years. And then all of a sudden we think at 18 that you're just going to become these bold Christians. Man, I'm looking for some guys tonight. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. This has to start with the young men in the youth group. Amen. And, and, and I'm not, I, hope, I hope you understand. I'm not putting you down. Didn't I just explain to you that I was like super coward at one time? I was the guy that should have been leading and I wasn't. But you know what I finally did? I got ashamed of being ashamed. I went to Chicago and I saw some of the craziest thing. These kids that live in that hellhole, that ghetto—I mean, where God is just blasphemed, where the Satan is openly worshipped. Study the gangs. What do you think the Latin Kings mean? What disciples? Disciples of what? You know the name of the gangs? It's disciples of Satan. You see, disciples, okay, disciples, Latin King. What is all that? It's all tied to the occult. So Satan has control of that entire inner city. And I watched these kids get saved in the middle of that. And I watched them, with no support from their family, all of a sudden change things in their life and stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ and carry a Bible into a public school where they don't even know every day whether they're going to get out of there alive. I had this little girl that I met. How many of you read the Stay in the Castle book? Let me tell you another story about Lydia. Lydia that's in that book? Let me tell you a story about her. We first reached her And I first found her. She started coming to church just every once in a while on Sunday morning. Then she got born again. I said she got born again. Okay, if none of this is making sense and nothing's speaking to your heart, I'm sorry, but getting saved changes you. I mean, if you can sit there and you're all week long, I mean, no, you're saying, uh, and you know what? Nobody can find a spiritual pulse, maybe because there's no spiritual life. But this little girl, you know what she needed? She needed to get saved. She got saved. She's only about this tall. She's still only about this tall. little sawed off thing. And you know what I did? I came to her house and I said to her, I need you to begin to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Oh, She's real timid. I don't think I could do that. And I said, let me share 20 principles with you. I'm going to go through you, one every week with you. And you know what? That girl caught fire, man. She started going to the public school system, one of the worst public schools in Chicago. She'd carry her Bible. Everybody started calling her the Jesus girl. She dressed modestly. She looked like a Christian. She passed out gospel tracts. They sped at her. They pushed her. They knocked her books out of her. She turned around pick up her books and say, God bless you, and she would go on. And you know what? Listen to me. I kept telling her mom, let her go to church camp. She wouldn't let her go to church camp when she was a freshman. She wouldn't let her go to church camp when she was a sophomore. She wouldn't let her go to church camp when she was a junior. Finally, her senior year, I said, let her go to church camp. So she went to church camp. And we helped raise the money and she went and I didn't go to church camp. I was working a job, but we sent her off to church camp. She came back that weekend. The young people, the college students that went with her came to me right away when they got back on Friday night and said, hey, you need to talk to Lydia. I said, what What happened? You need to ask her what she did. And I said, well, what did she do? No, you need to ask her what she did. I said, what would she do? You ask her. I started going to another kid. Hey. You know something about Lydia? Yeah, you need to ask her what she did. What did she do? You need to ask her. I'm terrified at this point. I'm like, what did this kid do? Saturday morning came. We had our bus meeting. I run out the car. I shoot straight to Chicago. I drive right to her house. I knock on the door. The door opens. Hey, hey, Brother Jenny. I said, what'd you do? <laughs> he said, Never about this time. What'd you do? What do you mean? What, what did you do? Everybody's telling me. Ask you what you did. Oh, tell me what you did. She came out and sat on the front step across from me. And she said, "She said, Brother Jerry, she said, when we pulled into this camp, you pull into the camp. And it's actually two camps. There's a road that goes to the left. There's a road that goes to the right. And there's this big kind of valley in between. And we rented this side. And some other girls group, I think it was Girl Scouts, rented this side. And she said, I went over here. And I had a cabin and was on a cabin right on the edge of where that hill was. And they were having their camp. And we're having our church camp. And so she said at night after chapel, after the service, I'd walk back. And I'd always go back behind the cabin. and I'd stand there. And I'd look across, and I could see their cabins with the lights on. And I could hear the girls laughing. And I'd think about what was preached. And every night, she said, Monday night, I'd just go back there and stop and listen and I think to myself, I wonder if they're saved. And I did it Tuesday night and I did it, with preacher, but she said, Brother Jerry, you know, you know how I am and, and I'm timid. But then I got to thinking of, of the things that you taught me and, and what we've been talking about. And I told the Lord, please, don't let me leave here without trying to get the gospel to them. So she said, I was so terrified that I finally waited to the last night, Friday night or Thursday night, the last night, Thursday night. And then she said, I got done with chapel. And the meeting, and she said, I went up and made a decision. God, I've got to do something. So I came back and I stood, and I could see that they were going to their cabins. And the cabin right across from ours, I could see in the windows, and the girls are jumping around and having pillow fights and laughing. And and she said, the Holy Spirit just wouldn't leave me alone. So she said, I walked down, down the hill, and it was so dark, and I didn't have a flashlight. But I made it up the next hill, and I went to the back door of their cabin. And she said, I just knocked. Are you picturing this? Here all these girls are in this cabin. They're having pillow fights. They're having a grand time. They hear knock, knock, knock. They open the door. It's this little Mexican girl. Can I help you? Hello? I wanted to come meet you. I'm from the camp over there. Are you lost? No. Well, can we do something for you? Well, yes, ma'am. What can I do? Would your girls like to hear a, maybe a bedtime story before they go to bed? And she's like, she's looking outside. Sure, come in. This little girl, this tall, comes in. Dressed modestly, looks like a Christian. They grab all their mattresses, throw it on the floor. They get on the mattresses. They're all listening, looking up at this girl. Go ahead. She starts telling them about how she came from Mexico to Chicago and she couldn't speak any English. She began to learn a little bit of English and then there was a day when somebody knocked on her door and invited her to church. And she began to tell about going to church and at first she couldn't understand a whole lot. But then she went to the Spanish department and that helped because she was able to learn some things. And she started talking to them about what she learned in church. And this is the first time I knew of a place called hell and heaven and and what Jesus had done. And she gives her testimony how she gets saved. And the whole time she's doing it, tears are running down her face and she said, let me tell you why I came over. The last, the last four nights I've been standing over on the other side and I kept looking over at you all and I thought, do they really know that they're on their way to heaven? And I guess I came to ask you, do you know Jesus as your Savior? And she said, Brother Jerry, by this time all of the girls are crying and the counselors are crying and they're all going like this. And so I just knelt down right in the middle of them And and I know, you know, girls are weird. You know, they do this like girl huddle thing, you know, where they and she said they just kind of all. And the next thing I know, I was like buried and they're all crying. And I opened my Bible and I read the verses to them and, and and they seemed to understand. And I said, if you want to be saved, would you pray? And she said they prayed out loud and they all hugged me. And she said, Brother Jerry, I was so scared going down that hill and I didn't know if I'd make it up the other side. I don't even remember walking back. One more. Lydia, that's this tall, has a friend, Maria, that's this tall. (laughs) Maria has decided she's never cutting her hair. First time I met her, her hair was all the way down, almost to the top of her ankle. She came to church. Her mom and dad fought her coming to church, but she came to church. She got saved. Her mom and dad were not happy she got saved. They would do anything and everything to mess her life up on weekends so she couldn't go to church. So every once in a while, about once a month, it would work out where she could go. But brother, she got a hold of a Bible and she started reading it and it was real. She tried witnessing to her mom and her mom would cuss her. Her dad was basically an absentee dad. Worked was in the bars. He didn't care whether she did or what she did. He tried. She'd try to witness to him, and he'd just push her away. She fought that thing and fought that thing. I watched that girl. Her mom would do this. She'd say on Saturday night, You want to go to church tomorrow? Yes, I want to go to church. Mom, I've been asking you all day, can I go to church? Yes, you can go to tomorrow. Oh, thank you, Mom. If you get this list of stuff done. And she would give her a list of things to do in the house. And that girl... She'd hand that to her at 10 o'clock at night, and that girl would work at 5 o'clock in the morning and have that list done and sleep for an hour and an hour and a half so that she could come get on a church. That's that's called being born again. Okay, I'm sorry, but I'm just... I've seen too much of that to really have a lot of understanding with kids that have Christian parents and are homeschooled and have Christians. I'm sorry, but I've just seen too much of it. To give you a pass for your attitude about church and your attitude about serving God. I want to take some of you, drive you up to Chicago, shove you out in the streets and let you live there about a month so you can appreciate what you have. Shame on you. Shame on you if you're complaining about your Christian parents. Shame on you if you're complaining about the rules. Shame on you if you're complaining. I mean it. I've seen this happen. I'd visit her every Sunday. Saturday. I could only get her maybe to come once a month because her parents would just do crazy stuff. She had a Bible. She had a Bible reading uh, chart. We'd talk every single Saturday about what she read. I did the best I could to disciple her, for the most part, being outside of church. The one thing she got was this. My mom and dad would change if they got saved. I changed when I got saved. They'd change if they'd get saved. But as she began to pray, she had such a burden for her parents. So this has been going on for about six, eight months, and I knock on her door one Saturday, and she opens the door about that much. All right? And she's got her head turned like this, and her long hair is down in front of her face, and I can't see her face. And she opens it up, and she has her head turned. She said, Brother Jerry, I can't talk to you. She said, I'll talk to you next week. I, I can't talk to you. And she tried to shut the door. And uh, I'm pretty good at this. If you put your foot like right into crack, they can't get the door shut. Okay. So I just went, bam, like that. And she's, she began to cry. She said, please, Brother Jerry, just come back next week. I'll talk to you next week. And I said, what's going on? And I just had this terrible feeling. Of my, I just, what is going on, Maria? She, she began to cry. She said, Brother Jerry, I'll talk to you next week. I said, you need to look at me. She said, Brother Jerry, please. I said, you need to look at me. She pushed her hair back. She looked at me, and her face was black and blue. And I don't know how you guys feel about that, but bro, I'm ready to kill somebody right now. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm as saved as I can be. <laughs> somebody hitting a woman. I mean, hey amen. I think you ought to. I think you ought to reap what you sow right there. I, I turned in a little bit of an Old Testament type dude about that time. I don't understand that. Brother, I'm going to tell you something. I went from I said, Maria, look at me. What happened? Brother Jerry, please. I said, tell me. She said, you're going to be mad. I said, I'm already mad. I said, you got to tell me what happened. She said, Brother Jerry, please don't be mad. He, he doesn't know what he's doing. I said, Maria, what, what happened? She said, my mom wouldn't tell me whether or not I could go to church this weekend. She said, you stay up and talk to your dad. But he didn't go home. He went to the bar and I kept waiting up and waiting up and waiting up. And she said, finally, he came in about 3 o'clock. And she said, Brother Jerry, please understand. When he's drunk, I said, just tell me. Just tell me. She said he was drunk and he came in. And she said, Dad, can I ask you something? What? She said, Mom wanted me to ask you. And I really want to go to church. And I haven't been able to go for several weeks. And I've tried to do everything. And she said, and he turned around. He was drunk. And he said, Church! Church! No. Then he started walking away. He said, no, no. I hate your church. She said, I just stood there. He started walking away. He said, no. I hate your church. I hate your God. She said, I didn't know what to say. i just afraid to say anything. I was just going to let him go to his room. And finally he stopped and he said, no, no. I hate your church and I hate your God. And you're going to say it. I'm going to say, what, Dad? You're going to say you hate that church, and you're going to say you hate your God. And she said, I began to cry, and she said, I couldn't do that. She said, Daddy, I love you, and I'll I'll do anything you want me to do, but I can't say. She said, he said, you're going to say that. You say it. You hate your church, and you hate your God. And she looked at me and she said, she cried, to Daddy, I love you. And Jesus loves you. And she said, as soon as I said that, he just ran back and hit me. She said, I just fell to the floor. But he wouldn't let it go. He picked me up by the arm. And he grabbed me. And he shook me. He said, now say it. Brother, I'm sitting at that door. And I'm just telling you what. I want to go find that man. I'm not real good right now. Okay. But I listened to her. And she said, I told him, Daddy, I love you, Jesus, and he hit me again. And he picked me up again. And he's tried to make me say it, and he hit me again. And he picked me up again. And I finally said, how long did this go on? She said, I don't know. He finally hit me, and then he passed out on the floor beside me, I just crawled to my room. And I said, is your dad home? She said, Brother Jerry, he's not home, but please he just needs to be saved. I said, okay. Okay. You want me to come next week? Yes, just please, just come next week. I'll just come next week. She shut the door, and I backed out of the entryway to her apartment, and I got on the sidewalk, and I started walking down the sidewalk, and I got about halfway down that block, and I was under such conviction. I'd gotten over being mad. I was just convicted. And I looked up and I said to God, this little girl's got nothing. She's got nothing but Jesus and a Bible that she's holding on to for life. And she'll sit there and take a beating and not be ashamed. And I'm thinking of Jerry Ross, the preacher kid. Sneaking around, throwing tracks, and half the time trying to get out of something because I'm a stinking coward, brother Star. I got down. I don't. You know, you need to get to the point where you don't care about what anybody thinks, but God and you. And I knelt right down on that sidewalk, and I I cried a bucket of tears, and I cleaned some things out of my heart, and I got up and I said, God, I am not ever going to be ashamed of you again. I am done with that. <sighs> For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God into salvation. Young people, you know what we need? We need you to get over yourself, we need you to get over worrying about what everybody around you thinks and says. You just stop trying to please a bunch of losers. It's in your heart you're saved. It burns in your heart to want to help somebody else get to Jesus. You're going to have to figure out what's in between you and that. And you know where it starts? It starts in a service tonight. Where you leave not to just go and sit down here and do your 20 seconds and turn it around so that the Youth pastor doesn't give you a hard time on the way home for not making a decision. That's never changed anybody. It needs to start with some young men and some young ladies who get down here and say, I'm going to pray and I'm going to I'm staying here until something happens. I'm promising God Almighty, I am not going to spend the rest of my life apologizing for what other people ought to be apologizing for. I'm going to stand up for Jesus. I'm gonna, I'm gonna become a soldier of the cross. I'm gonna be the tip of the spear. There's people out there like Maria that need somebody to find them. They need somebody to find them. And I'm sorry, it's not just you all. It's in my church too. We got a bunch of Christian school and homeschool kids that you know what? You're so, you're so separated, you're isolated. I'm for separation. I'm not for isolation. You can't win a lost world without having some contact with them. Right. And there's a bunch of young people waiting all around your church. And there's some little girl sitting behind a door whose life could be changed. Hey, Maria, Lydia's on the mission field. Okay, Maria's still involved in the church she got saved in, serving the Lord, teaching little girls. You know what? If they can come out of that hell hole and they can do it, so can you. So, can you let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? Heavenly Father, I ask Lord that as we prepare to leave tomorrow and as we leave, Lord, what has become for us for this time some holy ground, I pray, Lord, that you would not allow us to go back home in the same condition in which we came. Lord, help us to stop hiding behind our our personality. Help us to stop hiding behind the excuses that we offer to you. I pray, Lord, that we experience a real baptism of the Holy Spirit of God because when that happened in the book of Acts, it always followed. What always followed is a bunch of Christians that went out with Holy Spirit boldness. Well, Lord, how can we f- be filled with the Spirit when we're so f- already full of ourselves? How can we be filled with the Spirit when we're so full of sin? Lord, we need to empty some things out, empty out self, empty out sin to make room for the filling of your spirit and for the transformation of our life. And Lord, from the time I was in Bible college to this past week, you still helped me find them. They're still there. Olivia, last Saturday, might. My brother got saved, but I never have. My parents take me, my grandparents take me to a Baptist church. I've thought about it. I've just never been saved. I've never done it. I know I need to. I'm going to. And then to open the Bible and to say, can I show you how now? Sure. To listen to that girl, 19 years old, tears running down her face, call out and ask Jesus to save her. The problem's not that the world... Can't be reached. Problems, Jerry Ross. Problems. We won't get in the Bible. We won't study it out. Oh God, please change us. We'll let the piano player begin to play. How about it? Where you at? Where you at? I'm not gonna lie to you and tell you it's gonna all change in 24 hours. Get into this book and you study that thing out bold, boldly, and boldness. You study it, you study it out, you can do it. Talk to your parents about it. Talk to your youth pastor about it. Talk to your pastor about what you dig out. Help them. let them show you some other things. I'm gonna tell you, you're gonna have to face down some things in this study. Word of God will challenge you. You gotta make decisions. But the honest truth, nobody in the Bible experienced the power of God without paying a price for it. You can't dabble in sin and then go out and be filled with the Spirit. It just doesn't work that way. The wicked flee when no man pursue it, but the righteous are bold as a lion. If you're kneeling down here and you say, Preacher, I'm doing business with the Lord and by the way that's who you need to do business with but it would help me right now if I could talk to one of my counselors I could talk to somebody if you just raise your hand cause I'd really like someone to pray with me I'd really like somebody from my church to pray with me ladies would you come and I'm talking about counselors would you come on up here and just make yourself available to these young ladies and by the way that's wonderful there's some things you're not going to change unless you talk it out come on come on kids Have you made those private decisions? How'd that go? It's a lot. It's a lot of help to build some accountability. God bless you. God bless you. Preacher, I'm going to make a bunch of money. Okay. Okay. I don't know what God's will is for you. Okay. Let me ask you this. Are you just as excited about spending your life winning a bunch of souls? What if you gain the whole world? What's really important? But, but preacher, you don't understand. I got my whole life planned. Okay. All right. You willing to let God unplan it? Change it? I've already made up my mind. I'm not going to Bible culture. Okay. You made up your mind. If you ask God for his opinion. and do business take as much time as you want To the start, no matter how far I got away from God when I was a teenager, I never got far enough away where I didn't have a care in my heart for people that were lost. I mean, I may not done anything about it, but it still bothered me. I don't understand teens that claim to be saved, and it doesn't even bother them. Hell doesn't bother me. Lost souls doesn't Kids, I don't count the success of any message. and We don't take a count at the altar and keep a score, but we need to look down deep. Look down deep. Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let me ask a question. Are you saved? I mean saved. I mean saved. You need to talk to somebody about that. Willing to step out right? and I, 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 didn't. I, maybe you came, maybe you didn't come. But, preacher, I, I need to talk to somebody about being saved. Would you slip up here right now. We'll get somebody ready to meet you right here, right now. I'm not trying to get anybody to doubt anything. I just need to know: Are you saved? There's a fundamental difference that happens inside of a person that's been born again. It may take a while for it to get all the way out into your life, out to, as you work out that salvation. Work it out. But something happens. Something happens. Thank you, Brother Star. Thank you for letting me.
0: Thank you for listening to Strengthening the Brethren Podcast. Please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. If you are listening via Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please give a five-star rating and review. Lastly, share with your friends so that they too can be encouraged and think upon the topics that come up on this podcast. If you have any questions, prayer requests, or anything else for me, you can contact me through my website at www.refreshingGodsWord.com or you may email me at stbpodcastkjv at gmail.com. Have a blessed day.